What up, everybody? I am excited. This is 2, 5, and 10, episode 35, the Stanley Cup preview show. Benny, what up? The Mike Richter episode. I... Everybody that's been with us for the last 34 weeks, not 35, we've made it. We're here. The Stanley Cup final, St. Louis, Boston. We'll get to all that. We'll get to all the good stuff about the Stanley Cup final. We'll talk about some of the NHL news from around the league, including my Rangers. Talk about the conference finals for a little bit. Um, and then we'll get to the good stuff. But congratulations, Eastern Conference champion, uh, Kevin, and all the Bruins fans that listen. I'm very jealous. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's been a tough ride. Uh, we can obviously wrap. We'll wrap up the conference final. Well, yeah, the conference finals later on. It's been crazy, man. It's been a wild playoff. Um, I'm sure if we said these were going to be the final four teams at that time when the playoffs started, there could have been a whole bunch of difference in opinions. It is where it is. Bruins versus Blues. I think they're very well matched up. But hold on, everybody. <laughs> we got a whole bunch of other stuff before that. Surprisingly, for being now the cup final starting Monday, a whole bunch of stuff happened around the league, Benny. Yeah, I think they, I guess, wanted to be respectful for the conference final until I'd ended to announce some of the news. Uh, the most recent news today, the Ottawa Senators found somebody to take their head coaching job. Toronto Maple Leafs assistant DJ Smith has been named head coach. Uh, what are your thoughts? I'll share mine uh, in a minute or two, but what do you think so far? And before today, have you ever heard of him? No. Um, I actually did some research on him, and he actually could be a good fit for the job. He has a lot of experience in junior, and with Ottawa in that lineup being very young, I think he has a way to talk to the players. I mean, he's won a Memorial Cup himself as a coach he won two as an assistant a lot of time down there I think this could be the guy um I know he's been under Babcock now for the past four years so maybe he's able to find that middle ground of normalcy and psychopath where it seems like Babcock is just on the psychopath line <laughs> and maybe with that he could be able to connect to his players very well with that I mean Dorian even came out and said that what put him before everybody else was his communication skills and I feel like nowadays communication it, it's lacking like we're a huge communication world in the sense of wi-fi and everyone's on their phones or everything but like when you're in a room and I mean you've been in a hockey locker room like you need to be able to communicate and be in touch with all the guys and I think that part of it's huge if he can, can actually you command the room that I don't know that we'll find out because I mean yeah. The, the junior jump to the NHL, I think, is different. Maybe his experience with Babcock, he's learned some things. But not everybody is always that same coach as who you were with. Like, like yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, he might have had to be a certain way as an assistant under Babcock, but that might, might not be him completely. So we'll see as to how it adapts at an NHL level. Um, a Babcock quote, a, a little cocky, uh, it seemed a little strange to me. Quote, one thing I believe is the idea that if you come and work with me, you share your info, I share mine, and you get to go on your way. I'm pumped for him. We had four years together. Now he's set up good. He feels good. He's a good coach. He's a good man. 
He's going to do a good job. They're lucky to have him. That actually sounds legitimate from Babcock. Like, usually it's kind of like, oh, that he's somebody else's, you know, property now. We don't talk about him. Fruition of best, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, it seems like he's in depth. Um, definitely a lot of info over four years there. I mean, maybe he just wants to get past a first-round playoff. Could be that. Um, this now puts him with a couple other coaches from the Babcock assistant tree now in the NHL. Todd McClellan. Paul McLean, Bill Peters, Jeff Blashill, and now DJ Smith. And all those other guys are pretty good. So, like you touched on, <clears throat> excuse me, he spent the last four years with Babcock. He was an assistant coach running a PK. Uh, before that, he spent nine years in the Ontario Hockey League as an assistant with the Windsor Spitfires. And then he was head coach of Oshawa. They won the Memorial Cup in 2015. It's kind of, My opinion of him is kind of hit or miss so his time in nhl he's never run an nhl bench he's never been that the go-to guy before in the league not going to hold that against him too much but in his four years as in the assistant with toronto he was in charge of the penalty kill and it's gotten worse every single year it started out 82 and a half percent and then this past season was 79.9 uh the shots allowed have gone up from 31.9 per game in 2016 to pretty much 34 a game this past season. So that's a miss for me where, as an assistant coach, you can concentrate fully just on one aspect of the game. And from those two measurables, it's gotten worse for Toronto defensively. And it's not like Toronto hasn't put money and resources into developing their top six. Uh, But the other side of it is the players' union did their – yearly poll and last year he was the number one assistant coach voted on by the players around the league that they would be they would want to play for him as a head coach and he was even ahead of Todd Reardon who took over for Barry Trotz in Washington so that goes a long way with me when you hear guys from around the league talking about an assistant coach and wanting to play for a guy like that so maybe he's another Todd McClellan or Bill Peters somebody like that but my pessimistic side just looks at this as this was Ottawa and Eugene Melnick's way of getting a cheap hire instead of going for Mark Crawford or uh, like a Joel Quenneville, even though Quenneville wouldn't have gotten there. So it, it might work out in the end, but I think Melnick was also motivated by money. I mean, money could definitely be a factor, and absolutely. It almost seems, though, like I'm reading up on a little bit, they're giving him the reins here, too. They said he's expected to hire his own staff in Ottawa, not not to expect it to retain everybody. He has basically a clean slate. And for a first-year NHL coach, that's crazy. I mean, yeah, because we, even David Quinn got stuck with Lindy Ruff. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, the other thing, we saw it the other day, Elaine Vigneault with his assistance when he hired Mike Yo. So, I mean, just backup plan, insurance plans, I mean, they're giving this guy the clean slate. Yeah, Mike Yo and um, oh geez, the guy from Jacques Martin mm-hmm. are staff. So talk about a heavy hitter coaching lineup there for Philly. But um, so that was the hire in Ottawa and Buffalo. They hired Ralph Kruger, who most recently was a head coach uh, for Team World and their World Championships. Again, another out of left field kind of hire in my view. Uh, which is kind of cliche at this point. The GM, uh, Butterell and uh, Buffalo, talked about his communication 
ability to get the most out of a group. That's one of the reasons why they hired him. Uh, since 2014, he spent time as a chairman of the English Premier League side of Southampton. Uh, so he's been spending most of his the last few years out in uh, professional soccer or football, whichever one you want to call it. Uh, the last time he was in the NHL, he was head coach of the Edmonton Oilers in 2013, the lockout short year. Uh, he finished 19-22-7, um, and he was fired over Skype. So they talk about he, has, he does have head coaching experience. He does have that larger big-picture view since he spent time as a chairman of Southampton in uh, Europe, in England. People respect him from his time in the World Championships. I, it's another hit. See, see what happens. Higher for me. Like I'm not too swung either way. I'll, if he's going to be successful or not, I don't feel too strongly either way. The one thing with me that surprised me was, like you brought up, that whole how he's been on the board there at Southampton. And the one thing I'm thinking of here, and not to spark fires or anything else, but I think they want a guy who's on the management side of things. And whether Housley was just catering to the players or kind of fuck you and Botterill and, you know, fuck you, this is my team, you just kind of pick who plays for it. Like maybe they want a guy who can kind of get a hold of the whole picture, kind of grasp it all. And through that, I mean, I did not see this coming at all. I, I saw it. I'm like, Kruger, where, where the hell's he been? Like, you know, like <laughs> he knew he wasn't in the league. And it was just one of those things. I know he's touted highly around people who have played for him, others around the league. But to me, it almost seems like for someone who's been out of hockey this long to now, like, not even come back as an assistant. You come back as an NHL head coach. It was kind of like, <laughs> uh, it might be a force. But the one thing that you touched on, like being serving on a board, being a chairman and stuff, and being on more on the manager, management side. He had a quote when he was hired. He was talking to uh, Pierre Lebrun uh, for The Athletic back in April, and he said, quote, Now I've had the opportunity to be that person who creates a culture where you try to have it that everybody can really find their potential and find out what they're made of. So my evolution has been neat that way. Now six years into this, if someone is asking me about the NHL, your brain goes to a similar role, end quote. And I think that's been one of the things that have been lacking in Buffalo the Dan Balsma, the Ted Nolans, the Phil Houseys, there's no culture change. They're just used to losing. It's pissed off Jack Eichel the last few years when the season has ended. I think they're looking at this as a type of guy that might be able to set the tone as that ship has sailed. We're the Buffalo Sabres. We're turning over a new leaf. We're expected to win now. Get on board or get out. With that, though, like you touched on one thing, the whole Jack Eichel thing, Say Kruger comes in and his culture changed, his everything else, like, he's been there for six years now. He had to build this up. So yeah. say if some people aren't willing to wait as long, and they have Michael locked up for eight years, it was a max extension. So I, I just don't know if at one point, like, who indeed calls the shots in Buffalo? Is it Eichel? Is it Botter? Like, I, I don't know who calls the shots there. So who's to say... Eichel comes in next year and hey maybe the culture is changing like you know it's better but we're still losing what the fuck's the difference (laughs) well to be honest he's the captain I know he's a young captain but 
as an outsider looking at it, you've been a captain of some very disappointing teams. I know they had the hot start at the beginning of last year. You need to start, you need to sit down, take your medicine, and not be as vocal if he is in the locker room towards how the organization should be moving. You've had your chance. You're in a leadership position. It's gone nowhere. Sit down, take your medicine, be quiet, sign up for this new coach's plan, get on board, and uh, lead by example. That's all you can do at this point. And get a fucking haircut. <laughs> um, besides that, we have in New York, my, my Rangers, John Davidson, JD, returns to the organization as team president, replacing outgoing Glenn Saylor, who is retiring after 19 years on the job. Uh, not much to say really there outside of being happy. I grew up with him. He's a color analyst for 20 years for the Rangers up until 2006. So I basically grew up with him and Sam Rosen 82 nights a year, I, not necessarily including playoffs. So glad to see him back in the organization. The key part for me in the hire is they only wanted him. So as soon as Taylor retired, they only wanted to bring in JD. It was pretty much a foregone conclusion. His contract, he just signed an extension with Columbus, and the only out he had in his contract was if the Rangers had an opportunity. So even he was kind of leaving that door open. The one quote I wanted to hit on was, he says it's going to be a joint venture, this rebuild and his relationship with GM Jeff Groton. That's a change from Saylor, because ever since Saylor kind of stepped into the president's role, he yeah, he gave guidance and advice, but he kind of stepped out of the day-to-day operations and he let uh, the GM handle everything. That's not going to be the case with John Davidson. So I'm curious to see that dynamic. And also, if that accelerates the rebuild, if that changes some of the prospects that they've been drafting and trading for, that JD is like, no, he's not going to fit, and they try and repackage him. So it's going to be an interesting summer. He has inside track, possibly, of uh, Panarin going to New York. Who knows? But very happy to have him back. I didn't expect JD to go anywhere else. I mean, in essence, he's a mascot for the organization. He's been around forever. When he went to St. Louis originally. Um, I wasn't too sure as to how long he was ever going to stay there. It always seemed like he wanted bigger and better. And then when he finally landed in Columbus, I thought, you know, that was the sticking point. Obviously, with say they're now finally going. I mean, what better place to go to original six back where you started? One thing is him and Yarmo Kikalainen have been together a long time. St. Louis, mm-hmm. Columbus. I wonder if um, that Gorton thing is just smoke up the ass, and I wonder if he's hiring Kika Linen too. And I wonder if one other thing, if we're going to see an actual sign-and-trade in hockey, and Columbus signs Panarin and sends him to New York. I, I would not be surprised. Uh, I legitimately think there will be a sign-and-trade, and Artemi Panarin will probably be the first one who's ever done it, and he will go to New York locked up, and he will play there for J-Day. I wouldn't be opposed to that, especially since I, when I was looking at the CBA and uh, restricted free agent compensation, the Rangers can't sign Matthew Kachuk. They can't offer she Braden points, any of those top guys, because they don't own their own draft picks that would fulfill a compensation. Yeah, they have the draft picks from trades, but they don't have their own draft picks, which is a requirement in the CBA. 
So that dream of offer sheeting Kachuk and pairing him with Zibanejad on a top line, that's not happening unless they do something where they sign him to a lower contract for the uh, average annual value and then give him a huge-ass signing bonus that Calgary can't afford and they, they can finagle the compensation that way. But if they're just going to do a straight-up typical offer sheet, they can't do it. So the Panarin option becomes much more appealing to the Rangers. I don't know if the arranged marriage will work. I'm a Jets fan, too. I've seen that fail for like the last seven years now. So I kind of would take this summer and maybe going into the season as a feeling out phase between J.D. and uh, Gordon, but I don't know if Kukalana will leave Columbus. I wouldn't put my eyes on Bill Zito, the assistant GM. Well, the only other thing is you don't know what Columbus is going to be left with at the end of this. Bobrovsky's house is already on the market. P- Panarin and him have already been in South Florida together. Yeah, vacation. Yeah, vaca- yeah, vacation or looking at properties for next year, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. They don't know if Duchesne's coming back. Like, this team could look completely different. And who's to say that, hey, magically, Yarmo and JD both come together again at the same time? Yeah, I don't know if that'll happen right away unless it's a huge falling out. But I wouldn't be surprised if... JD's not exactly happy with how this summer goes because of the cap room and the second overall pick and some of the prospects that are expected to make the team this fall. If they aren't progressing enough, that JD might go, all right, I'm going to step in a little bit here. Um, So before we get to the conference final, kind of a quick recast and then the Stanley Cup preview, two transactional things. One is confirmed. One is just a strongly held rumor. One, the Islanders... Uh, two episodes ago, I kind of talked about what their future is going to be this summer of all their key free agents. They locked up one of them, Brock Nelson, their second-slash-third-line center. They signed him to a six-year deal for $6 million a year. I think that is a vast overpayment for a guy that will give you 20, maybe 25 goals a year, 40 to 50 points, never hit 200 shots on goal in a season. But he's a key uh, proponent in their top six and on a PK, so I guess they had to overpay to keep him as an unrestricted free agent. The rumor is Pittsburgh and Minnesota have either a framework agreed to or the players have been discussed for a Phil Kessel trade along with Jack Johnson and some salary relief going to Minnesota for a package headlined by Jason Zucker. I find it interesting, man. Um, There's been a whole lot of rumblings that there was a bunch of friction with Phil Kessel and Mike Sullivan and even with Evgeny Malkin. I mean, let's be serious. If you're Phil Kessel and you're ruffling Malkin's feathers, you're out of there. <laughs> you're yeah. ruffling Crosby's feathers, you're out of there. Um, as for him and Sully, I mean, Sully seems like an old-school kind of guy. I think he shoots it to you straight. Maybe Phil didn't like it. Maybe he blew him up a couple of times in a video thing saying – you skate so fast forwards, how come you don't skate so fast backwards for a back check? <laughs> and maybe that was what caused some issues. But with it, um, Toronto still owes 1.2 of that salary until that contract's over. So you can yeah. ship Phil wherever you want and get whatever you want for it. I mean, this could be the first start. I mean, Jim Rutherford has always been very aggressive when it comes to these things. And sending Phil Kessel home to Minnesota... I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing. 
Like, what if Phil hits another leaf and he just tears it up back home in Mini? Yeah. Well, I mean, for Pittsburgh, they're like you said, Rutherford's not afraid to make trades, uh, but he's also highlighted the fact that this core has been together for so long that maybe it's time to shake things up a little bit. And he's not trading Crosby, he's not trading Malkin, and I don't think he's going to be moving Latang. So Kessel was the obvious candidate there. They also have hinted at wanting to get quicker, and Zucker definitely does that in his hypothetical trade um, more than Kessel. From Minnesota, he's from, he went to the University of Wisconsin. He's good friends with Ryan Suter. So it seems like a natural fit. Uh, it's up to Kessel. He has a no-trade clause. So I think they're waiting until after the Stanley Cup to potentially announce anything. There were rumors that Kessel might be traded to Arizona because um, – why am I blanking on the head coach's name now? Rick Tockett. And for the Coyotes. Rick Tockett. Yeah, Rick Tockett. Uh, him and Kessel got along really well, but – the Coyotes' ownership situation is now in flux again, so I don't think they can take on a contract at this point. So it looks like the first strong trade rumor of this offseason has already started with Kessel to Minnesota. Uh, that being said, let's get to it. Conference final recap. Uh, let's start out west. Uh, I want to get your thoughts, not on the entire series, but on two aspects of the Sharks-Blues. One, the non-call for the hand pass on the overtime game winner for San Jose. And if you think, like a lot of other fans have been saying, that every goal should be reviewed. And also, your thoughts on the future of San Jose with all the free agents they have. Um, every goal being reviewed, no. Uh, it, it, this Thank year, you. This year specifically, it has taken up a whole bunch of time mm-hmm. doing all of it. And... It's a fast game, man. Referees are going to make mistakes, but that's happened forever. I know this year it seemed to have cost the NHL a lot and a lot of headaches, whether it's penalties, whether it's offsides calls, whether it was now a hand pass. Oh, brutal. Um, I thought that was a turning point for this series, that hand pass goal, because it seemed like San Jose now had all the calls. The Vegas call when they got the five-minute major – now they like I felt the hockey gods were on their side and it was just going to be no matter what San Jose was going to find a way to pull this off. I thought that was the turning point. Um, thankfully, what was hilarious to me was San Jose and the elimination game against the Blues. I was listening to the radio broadcast because I was driving and the Sharks broadcast team, the radio team, spent the entire game whining about non-calls on interference on faceoffs. And whenever St. Louis got a penalty, the play-by-play guy would go, the referee's arm is up, and of course it's against the Sharks. Shocking. I'm like, really? After the non-call and a hand pass and that penalty in the Vegas series, you guys have the balls to complain about the referees at this point. Like, chill. Yeah, well, that's, you know, once the wheels fall off, it's, you know, the finger starts pointing. Yeah. But I'm on your side with the review because how far do you go back if – you, if you scored a goal, Kevin, are they allowed to review the entire period to see if that continuation of the play should have been ruled down for something else beforehand? Like, how far do you go back? How long do those reviews take? I think that opens up a whole can of worms. This not calling a hand pass was terrible, brutal. But that happens once in how many chances? But you're going to review every other play from now on as a result of that. I think that's just killing yourself for a rare occurrence in a game. 
I mean, that whole refereeing crew got kicked off after. NHL yeah. told them, you're, you're not refing any more games this postseason. It, it was blatant. The refs on the goal line, that happens just above the goal line. I mean, pretty visible for anyone to see, even at full speed. Maybe the ref had a D kind of circling back and got in his way. Maybe that's why he didn't see it. But, I mean, there's another official on the ice. There's two other linesmen. You're trying to tell me no one saw a hand pass? Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> and Kerry Frazier, who's on Twitter, is great. He uh, goes into explanation for a lot of calls all the time. He said that all four officials were positioned incorrectly. The two linesmen who, once the play is onside, their entire purpose is to look for hand passes, things like that. They didn't call it. The referee, like you said, that was on a, on a goal line. He was too far behind the goal line. He wasn't on top of it enough to be able to see the hand pass. And then a trailing referee took too long to get to the center right red line. So he was too far away to potentially see it at all. So all four guys were in correcting position, according to Kerry Frazier, which led to the missed call. But, yeah, I was in the same boat as you. I thought once San Jose got that call that they were on their way. And I guess karma comes back to get them finally with St. Louis winning the series in the end. Yeah, I mean, once St. Louis kind of took a stranglehold in that game five, I mean, they dominated Mother's Day. I'm, no, I'm sorry. It wasn't Mother's Day. That was the Bruins on Mother's Day. Um, <laughs> but, but the Sunday, the Sunday game at three o'clock, twelve o'clock your time. Yeah, they killed them. Mm-hmm. Like they just came in and blew the doors off, and they were more hungry. Th- who hit uh, Pavelski? He almost killed him with a clean oh, hit. Petrangelo. Like, Petrangelo, yeah, right at the blue line, right on the linesman. Like clean hit, no question about it. But and Pavelski didn't play Game Six because of it. It like. I get it. They were beat up. I have a question for you because I was talking. I think it was Mainzy about it the other day. Do you let Eric Carlson play that game five after game four when you benched him basically the whole seven minutes left in the third? Like, at what point does he not understand or do the coaches not understand he's hurting them? Because now they're down to 5D. I understand, and Eric Carlson is better than most of the other people you can have in there. But when now you're going down to 5D in the playoffs, like you're hurting your team. I think so. I've been saying this all playoffs long that his groin wasn't fully healed because just watching each of his shifts, he's clutching, he's grabbing, he's hooking, he can't keep up. So he doesn't have that explosiveness in his skating stride. So you can tell there is something definitely up. When it comes to game five, I think you have a decision to make. You either have him go out there and be part of the lineup and see what you can get out of him and dress an extra defenseman and go with 11 forwards and see what you can get. Or maybe you just sit him on a bench, give him a shift here or there to stay warm, and then he plays the point in a power play. But the, for the regular shifts, the reserve def- extra defenseman gets his time. Or you just don't play him at all. I don't. I feel like that was a half-assed decision to go with him, but not protect yourself. So, like you said, he didn't finish Game Five. Uh, the entire third period, I don't think he played because of the groin after he hurt it uh, even more, and then he missed Game Six because of it. So, I think they could have handled that better. But yeah, once you're down to five D, especially with the depth 
that San Jose doesn't have on a back end. Like, all apologies to Brandon Dillon and Justin Braun and those guys, but you can't be giving those guys 20 minutes of ice time in a playoff game against St. Louis and expect a win. So, yeah, I think they hurt themselves with that decision. And now, like, going forward, you look at it, Jumbo Joe, unrestricted next year. Joe Pavelski, unrestricted. Like, this is happening really quick. Gustav Carlson's unrestricted. Myers, restricted free agent. They have to re-sign Timo. Um, Carlson, like, they have a serious summer as to whatever their plan is of laying it out because I don't know where they go from here. I, I honestly don't. Every year, beginning of the season, you could say, who's a Stanley Cup contender? Every year we'll say San Jose, and they can just never get there. They made it to the finals once, but besides that, it's usually right here where they can never go past. And whether it's coaching, I don't know if it's that. The GM, I mean, Dougie Wilson gives them a team to play with every year. Is it yeah, the players? The every year. Is it the players? Like, what do they need to make different? Like, I don't know, man. I think they need to start blowing it up over there and switching some shit up. So it's interesting because, like, they've had to retool before, and they've had to make hard decisions before. Like, Wilson let Patrick Marlowe go, who is the face of their franchise, a homegrown guy, that captain, because he didn't want to overpay for a guy in his late 30s. They're trying to make the distinction or correlation between that decision and somebody like Joe Pavelski. But even though it's kind of odd because San Jose didn't attempt to start negotiations with Pavelski at all, all year. And I don't know if there's going to be some bitterness there on Pavelski's side where he's going to be like, fine, I'm going to see what else is out there and see if there's a good fit. I don't know what's going on there. It would be hard for me to see Pavelski leave this summer for San Jose. I don't think that's like a huge possibility. I'd probably put it like 80-20 at this point. Um, Joe Thorne came out today and said, if he plays next year, it's only in San Jose. So that's basically just like he's been doing. He'll probably tell Wilson, do what you need to do. And if I have a spot, I'll come back. If not, then I'll call quits. Because I don't think he's going to try and like sign in July 1st and hamstring them a little bit. Carlson, I think, is gone. I think Carlson's gone out of San Jose. Nothing against the organization. It just didn't seem like he was comfortable at all throughout the year. Uh, playing same side as Brent Burns. They both played a power play. I think Carlson and Burns are both lead dogs, and they both want to be running their teams. And I think Carlson is going to be looking to go somewhere else this summer. He's going to have plenty of suitors. I think Pravelski stays, but not on a long-term deal. I'd say like two years, maybe three, like $7 million a year. I think Thornton's going to retire. I think they have enough good young pieces to move forward. Maybe he comes back in January in case they, if they need some reinforcement. But, yeah, I think Carlson's gone. I think Vegas is uh, looking for Eric Yeah, I was, was going to say Vegas is looking uh, pretty good for Carlson right about now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, interesting in San Jose. Um, Wilson always finds a way to make him competitive. So even if they have to lose a couple of guys, it's going to be interesting to see how they continue making this franchise pretty much top five in NHL year in and year out. And Dougie Wilson, for the record, handsome prick. <laughs> like all those times I met him in Worcester, handsome yeah. suit tailored to a T. Like, yeah, 
Dougie got it going on. Fine, yeah, fine was, wine, better with time. What was great was this was when Justin Braun was in Worcester when we were there, and uh, Wilson uh, visited with uh, Ferguson, mm-hmm. and he was talking to uh, Mutter, and they were just like in the tunnel, like at the DCU center, and Justin Braun comes off after pregame warmups and he looks at me and he goes. You can tell who's the NHL GM and who's the AHL GM, huh? And he just keeps walking. <laughs> just because of the suits and everything. <laughs> but, yeah, so uh, I have full confidence in Wilson and San Jose to make this work. The board's a good coach. They sh- Even if Carlson leaves, they'll be active in free agency. I'm not going to be – I wouldn't be surprised about that. But definitely going to be interesting. Um, I feel bad for Joe. Big Joe, though, so. Joe's coming home to Boston for one last go-around. see. Um, moving on to the Eastern Conference Final. Quick recap. Feels like you guys haven't played in three years. Sweep of Carolina. I had it going five. You had it going six. Carolina just did not look ready at all for this, this matchup in terms of being ready mature-wise, not necessarily coaching or anything else like that. Uh, expected results. Were you surprised about how quick it was handled? Yeah, I was just yeah. surprised about how quick. Uh, one thing I saw was it seemed like Carolina just couldn't capitalize when they needed to. And it mm. seemed like the Bruins just, that Chris Wagner goal, like just whenever we needed a goal, we were able to get it. Um, huge injury to Wagner. They still haven't confirmed that it's a broken arm or broken wrist, but still they currently. They said he's out for the playoffs, though, I think. Yeah, well, they they won't say what it is. You know, upper body injury, clearly. <laughs> um I'm going to go on about it after, but in 18 minutes from now, the Boston Bruins are having a scrimmage at the TD Garden, an inter-squad scrimmage for the fans. (laughs) Maybe, but this is the only thing for me, dude. That is the stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard of. Can you imagine if Bergeron tears an ACL? That's what I'm saying. Like These guys this time of the year are dialed in. Like You're going to tell somebody to not go and block a shot. Are you going to tell somebody to, like, not go and shoot a puck at the net? Like, like, this time of the year, these guys are dialed. And that is the thing that scares me the most, is that someone's going to go into this and get hurt. Granted. Yeah, just do walkthroughs, essentially, at yeah, this point. Yeah, like, granted, could it happen in practice? Absolutely. But to actually go and sell tickets to this thing and everything else, like, it's an absolute joke. You want to go see the Bruins practice? Go to Austin Brighton. Mm-hmm. You're going to go to the garden to have an inner scruts. Because this is the other thing, too, right? What if Tuka Rask gets lit up like a Christmas tree today? Oh, the confidence? The mojo's gone. Mm. And what if Trent Frederick comes in and he scores two goals and an assist today and he walks That'd into the office? Oof. <laughs> he he walks into the office and he says, I think I should be playing right now. And if you're not going to play me in the cup, trade me. Yeah, and if I was the, if I was Cassidy, I would go to David Backus' locker stall and be like, Go shut this fucking kid off for me, please. <laughs> but, but no, like, I, I just feel like there's too many variables with this thing, and I don't know why they would do it for. Like, yeah, stick uh, to your practice and leave it as is. I guess just to keep it, because the long layoff, they don't want to be caught off guard with the pace of game one against a team that just wrapped up. So maybe just getting, like, a full speed scrimmage in, uh, they're looking at that as a benefit, Keep get the legs moving, get some of the rust off, I guess, but... That, yeah, if everybody comes out of it, fine. No harm, no foul. But if something happens to somebody, oh boy. Yeah, just 
not good. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, not much to say about the Eastern Conference Final. Expect the result. You boys handle business. Again, congrats on the Eastern Conference Championship. Back in a cup for the first time since, what, 2013? 2013 against, against Chicago, yeah. Chicago, Dave Boland, everybody. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, here we go. Stanley Cup preview, St. Louis versus Boston, Zombie Nation versus Gloria, as you pointed out to me in a text message. I think I'm going to go first here just because I know I'll be a lot quicker than you as the Bruins fan, and you'll probably highlight a lot more in-depth stuff than I will. Um, for me, it kind of boils down to a couple things. The Blues have a chance in the series. I think this is going to be a fantastic series. It's not going to be a sweep. It's not going to be blots. I think this is going to be one of the probably the best series of the playoffs, I think, so far. And that's all you can ask for in a Stanley Cup. You have two good markets, all that stuff. For me, you look at some of these areas. So St. Louis, they've had great goaltending the second half of the year and in a playoffs with Jordan Bennington. The playoffs, he's had a 914 uh, save percentage. He hasn't done anything to cost them a game, essentially, or a series so far. But then on the other side of it, Tuka Rask. 942 save percentage. An insane playing. He's basically on his own planet right now. So he's also not costing the Bruins a game, but he's winning them games. And I think that's the difference between Tuka and Jordan Bennington right now. Not saying Bennington doesn't have that ability, but Tuka's winning games for Boston. Bennington's just not losing them. The other aspect for me is special teams. Mm -hmm. Boston, 33% power play percentage in the playoffs so far. 87% PK. Just absolutely crushing on special teams. St. Louis has been, even after the coaching change and their long second half run, has struggled in both of those areas. That's another area that Boston could exploit. For St. Louis, you have Tarasenko, who's finally waking up after he posted that missing persons poster on our Facebook page. Uh, eight points in six games in the San Jose series. Braden Shen, first goal in 11 games in game six. O'Reilly's still in that funk. He needs to snap out of it if they want a realistic chance of winning the series. But for me, it boils down to two things for St. Louis to be able to win a series. They got to exploit Chara, which after all these years, it's just odd to say that Chara is the weak link in the top four for the Bruins in the playoffs so far. He's playing hurt, obviously, in this game four of the Eastern Conference Final. But for against Carolina for the entire playoffs, Chara is the only Bruins defender with an expected goals rate below 50. Everybody else is above 50% except for Chara. And especially when you have him playing top minutes with the top line with Bergeron, Pasternak, and Marchand, he's at 39%. I don't know how that's mathematically possible when you're playing with a line as dominant as them, but that's just to highlight how exploitable Chara is at this point in his career and just deep into the playoffs. So that's one area where, especially when St. Louis is at home and they had the last change, if you see Char out there on the ice, you got to get Tarasenko out there, you got to get O'Reilly out there, and hope for the best. The other area is they got to play physical. They got to slow things down. You have Shen, O'Reilly, Oscar Sundquist, Jay Bomeister, uh, Joel Emmonson, Bertuzzo, Maroon, Barbashev, all big boys, all physical guys. They need to play physical, they need to slow things down. Because you're not going to get a lot of pucks past Tuca. 
and you're not going to be able to keep pace in a shootout with the Bruins. So you got to turn it into an old-fashioned scrum series and hope your few game-breakers like Shen and Tarasenko really come through for you, Jaden Schwartz, uh, for a chance to win this series. The issue for me is, besides what I already highlighted about Tuka Rask and goal and a special teams advantage that Boston has a distinct advantage with, everything that St. Louis does well, Boston does better. St. Louis is physical, Boston's physical. They have good goaltending, Bruins have better goaltending. St. Louis has a good defensive system, the Bruins have a great defensive system. They've been there, done that. They have the goaltending, they have the coaching, they have the special teams advantage, and they have the best line in hockey. So I think it's a great series. I just think it's a terrible individual matchup for St. Louis to draw for the Stanley Cup. I'm with you. I, I think it's going to be a great series. I'm guessing six or seven games. I, I see two teams here looking in the mirror. And you know how when you look in the mirror, shirt off, and you're like, yeah, I think my chest <laughs> looks a little bit better. Like, looking, looking good. <laughs> yeah, just exactly what you said. Like Two teams that want to mirror each other and the things that they do. You can go up and down the lineups if you want to go line by line and have you know the who's pricks the biggest, you know, by, you know, a quote. <laughs> but like, you look at it, you have two very good teams uh they're both relying on scoring from their top lines but they both get the contribution from their death whether it's the second third or fourth you look at the d the top six i mean you can almost yet again call it a wash or say one's just a little bit better than the other there's so much here two goalies that are on fire it's crazy um i think the nhl really lucked out with this series i know Mm -hmm. The storyline, if Joe Thornton came home to play, would have been maybe a little bit better for them. But David Backus is going home to a team that didn't want him anymore. Yeah. So I think he's going to be very hungry for this. I think you are going to see that O'Reilly line up against the Martian line. Mm-hmm. And then it'll be... be a fantastic fucking matchup. Oh, dude, they're going to go at it on every draw. Yeah. Legitimately, like, I think that's going to be awesome. So I think then that slots. David Krejci against that Shen line with Schwartz and Tarasenko. I don't know if that's a good flip-flop for us, to be honest. I would rather Bergeron with them trying to shut him down, but I think that anytime O'Reilly's out there, you'll probably see Bergeron out there. But it could be the other way, though, too, with Berge just trying to shut down that top line. I, I don't know what to expect from this series. I, I honestly don't. I don't see Tuca getting out of the zone. I don't see Bennington getting out of the zone. Um... One thing the Bruins have to be very careful of is as to how active St. Louis's D is. Oh, yeah. They're, they're in on every play. Uh, games, especially done. Especially done. But the other thing was game six, Bortuzzo's in up there. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. When Robert Bortuzzo's up there, like these guys are very aggressive. So it's going to turn confident. into one thing. Confident aggressiveness, it needs to be controlled. Because if they jump and one of them missed the net, the Bruins better be going the other way two-on-one or two-on-two with at least a forward the other way and get a chance. And you guys are fantastic on a transition like that. So Yeah, so going down to it, if you look at, I'd say, the Bruins lineup more than St. Louis's lineup, if the Bruins win a cup this year, and now I'm just looking at younger guys, now Pasternak has a cup, now DeBrusque has a cup, Heinen has a cup, Corrali <laughs> has a cup, Carlo, Krug, Carlo, McAvoy, Clifton, Grizzly. Like, these are young guys that now add to the other guys that already have cups. Mm-hmm. 
I think that's completely changing. Changes payroll, changes scheme. Yeah. Like there's a lot of things that are going to happen from this and because of this. And I don't want to think ahead and say, yeah, yeah, the Bruins are winning the cop. I do think the Bruins win it here in six or seven games, but I don't think it's an easy series. I think any mistake is going to be costly either way. The Bruins make a mistake. St. Louis is going to make them pay. St. Louis makes a mistake. The Bruins are going to make them pay. I will say that Boston has more of the ability to capitalize on mistakes than St. Louis because just to reiterate the point that you were making and kind of wrap up mine, you're comparing the lines, the O'Reilly line against Bergeron line, the Krejci line against the Shed line. But even looking at the bottom six, the third line of St. Louis is Tyler Bozak, Patrick Maroon, and Robert Thomas. A pretty solid third line. But then for Boston, they counter Richard Hansen, Coyle, and Heinen. Heinen. Yep, and Heinen. That's just as good. Fourth line, you have Corrali, Akari, um, and those guys. And for St. Louis, you have Alexander Steens on their fourth line. They move Sunquist down to the fourth line. That's a good matchup. But for me, it always is going to boil down to St. Louis is very good. They have good depth up and down the lineup and the forwards and on the back end outside of uh, Jay Bomeister, who is like an anchor back there. But every single matchup, you're like, yeah, St. Louis, man, that's a good line. That's a good defensive pair. But Boston just is a little bit better in those matchups, in my opinion. And I think that's the difference. I'm just hoping that that top line of Schwartz, Shen, and Tarasenko can just be a little quiet. <laughs> like, they, they absolutely just tore up that Western Conference final. And I was nervous at first about all of our days off going into yeah. it. But now it seems like St. Louis has only a couple more days off than we do. You, you know, like, so I feel like that kind of neutralizes it a little bit, which is nice. The only thing here, though, too, is maybe St. Louis going in on the road for game one at least takes them away from all of their distractions you know you you got no ticket requests and things like that ideally the bruins go to st louis up 2-0 you go with a split you still did good the bruins come out of here oh two Ugh. yeah that's uh a little dicey i will say if you know somebody that is just like a super casual hockey fan or sports fan or somebody that you might want to get interested in the game of hockey. You just started dating, something like that. This is the Stanley Cup final to make them sit down and watch every minute of every game if it's going to play out as both Kevin and I think. This is going to be a fantastic Cup final. Yeah. I, I just think when you look at teams that match up perfect, this isn't going to be like if the Bruins had played San Jose, I think it was just going to be boring in the sense of San Jose is going to try to establish their wide open type game and the Bruins uh -huh. are going to try to clog them. And like These are going to be two teams that are going to be mucking it up on every shift. They're going to be blasting each other into the boards like rebounds. Goalies are going to be like, I think it's going to be insanity. So the one matchup that if I'm St. Louis, I'm kind of anticipating and looking to reap some rewards from 
you know, you have Braden Shen. He was drafted, not drafted by Philly, but he basically grew up for the Flyers before being traded to St. Louis. He has a lot of history with this Bruins team and a core of this Bruins team. If you want the ability to slow down their top line, you know, you're not going to do anything. Pasternak's not going to get into the dirt for the most part. Bergeron handles the business when he needs to. I have Shen or I have O'Reilly trying to goat Marshan into bad penalties, something maybe a one-game suspension because of an action in the previous games, anything. Because you take him off, he's arguably a top-ten player in the league at this point, uh, Brad Marshan. So you, if you can take him off, get under his skin, get him playing more emotional than he has been, that's one area you can look to exploit. And I think Shen's perfectly lined up to do that as a guy who's played in a lot of tough matchups against the Bruins throughout the years. It's funny, though, too, because they actually had uh, Patrick Maroon talk about that today. <laughs> and he goes, the last thing I want to do is say anything to Brad Marchand. He goes, <laughs> Marchand will never shut the fuck up. <laughs> that's what he said. He goes, because it, it's not me I'm worried about. It's if he gets into somebody else's head. And then he's yeah. like, he's a completely different player and he plays better. He goes, so... We as a team have decided we're not saying anything to him, not acknowledging yeah. him. And I mean, maybe that's a good option, or maybe that. Maybe. Yeah, we'll I see mean, what happens if they go down a game or two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I know how tactics change and everything else, and it all depends on situation. But we'll see what happens, man. This is going to be great. All right. All right. So, I think enough talking about that. Stanley Cup starts on Monday, which really quick. Game one on Memorial Day at night, I think, is just a terrible start for broadcasting. And then if it goes to games five, six, and seven, there's three days off between each of the games, which I think is utterly ridiculous. The, if it goes to game seven, the Stanley Cup champion won't be determined until June 12th. I don't understand why it's going to take nine days to play three games, but that's how the NHL has it lined up. I don't know what scheduling conflicts there were, but... Starting on Memorial Day and having those three-day breaks, I think, is a terrible decision. That being said, prediction time. Back is going back to St. Louis. The rematch of the 1970s Stanley Cup Final where Bobby Orr learned to fly. Fantastic matchup. I think St. Louis is a hell of a team. I just think Boston is slightly better in multiple aspects of the game. And I think their top line... Combined with Tuka Rask, it's just going to be a little bit too much to overcome. I would be happy, in a way, to see St. Louis win. They've never won in their history, so they have that little bit of underdog story for them. But Boston's just too good right now, and they've been there. They've done it. I'm going to go Boston and six. I like it. Boston and six. Uh, I would love for them to win on home ice. I, I mean, if it goes to seven, that definitely could happen. I, I'm with you, man. I think they've been there. They've done that. I just feel bad for David Perron. Like, this guy, <laughs> you know, going to another cup final, I, I just don't think he's going to get it. And it's unfortunate. I mean, he's always been one of those guys who's played on the line, kind of agitated under your skin and things like that. And tough for him. But, yeah, I, I will go Bruins in six as well. But if it goes seven, whew, that's going to be a much better game seven than a one against Vancouver that you guys were in. And also, 
I know you want to win at home ice, but if you have a two three two series lead going into St. Louis, no, win it there. You just want to end it. Don't, don't come back. It. That's <laughs> you it. don't want to go. Oh, we'll finish yeah. it at home in a game seven. We'll open up the bars when you come home. Don't worry about it. Can you imagine game seven in at home in Boston going into a sudden death OT? No. So Jesus Christ, you guys would die. <laughs> like I think that would be one time where I would actually just like turn the TV off and just sit in silence because like I wouldn't know what to do with in that situation because if god forbid it came out the other way like I'm not one of those like I used to be like crazy when it came to yeah. watching them like I'm a lot better now but like game seven double overtime and then like so, like Patrick Maroon just goes and taps one off the goal going line. to break away Dude, like I would throw the remote right through the TV <laughs> like I would go absolutely insane I will say the last time you guys won a Stanley Cup in 2011, I was there for Game 7. I watched the game with uh, Mike, Renee, and a couple other people. So if it does go 7, maybe I'll fly back up to be you guys' good luck charm again. But both of us don't think it will get that far. Bruins in 6. If that's the case, cue the Duck Boots. Another Stanley Cup parade in Boston for another championship team in title town, at least for this century. Um, any other closing thoughts? before we get to shout-outs? No, man. I, just in general, this playoffs has been insane. All the upsets, all of, I mean, people just getting taken care of handily, referee calls. This yeah. has been an overall just insane NHL playoffs. I will say the NHL is probably happy that yeah, they had a lot of different markets Uh with some upset wins and going deep into the playoffs, which is always good for the game. If they just learned how to market the sport better, it'd be even more improved. But you can bet your ass they were nervous about a Colorado-Carolina Stanley Cup final. <laughs> yeah, no question. <laughs> so they're probably happy, very much happy. It's an original six team and a good market like St. Louis in the Cup. So, uh, oh, all right. Over under, how many times are we going to see that Bobby Orr picture during this series? Over under starts at twenty. Oh, oh, over. They're gonna show it eleven times in the game one pregame show. The easy, easy. There's no question. And especially <laughs> once you guys are about ready to clinch, if you guys are gonna clinch the cup and it's like multi goal lead, they're gonna be showing that highlight a bunch. Santa go. Bobby R. That's an easy over for me. Put I'll put my life savings on that bad boy. <laughs> <laughs> Who you got for shout outs? Uh, shout outs, like always, First Lady. I um, also want to give a shout out, not to anybody in particular, but throughout the course of this season, uh, all everyone that's kind of been on this journey with us as we figure it out, the technology, the social media, the different segments that we've tried out, all that good stuff. Uh, you've heard me. T I'm not going to be thanking any of you because <laughs> you get our you get our product. That's enough of a thank you. Um, I was just going to say that you've heard me touch on here and there about oh when I'm back on the East Coast, back on the East Coast. Well, finally, I was able to send my boy Kevin the official text message after Labor Day, the week after Labor Day. Uh, the first lady and I will be officially residents of the great state of New York once again. And this podcast will not have to be scheduled around a three-hour time difference. Yeah, I mean, the, the hardest part is always figuring that out. It's like, hey, 3 o'clock your time, and I think 3 o'clock my time. I'm like, no, wait, I'm still working. Okay, yeah, 6 o'clock. So <laughs> it, it'd be nice to finally be on the uh, the same time zone, which will be good. And, I mean, 
later recordings then wouldn't be as bad on account no. of we both could have just watched whatever game it was and went right into that. Yeah, like 9.30 start. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that won't be as bad, which will make it good. Um, Shout-outs this week. Big Red as always. Going forward, I have Cam over here rattling me. He's over here playing the piano. Um, <laughs> Strat Daddy comes home Sunday from Ireland to jump back into game one. So he might be a little tired, a little jet lagged. But Monday night, there will be a lot of porch rockers flowing. Well, I don't even want to say Monday night, probably all throughout the day. Um, also, it's Memorial Day, everybody. Think of everything and what this day means, not just an extra Monday off or just a drinking holiday. Also, going forward, I'm with Benny, man. Uh, we're trying to figure this out as best we can. We're doing it on the fly. I think maybe because now we're in a very important time here. Maybe after every two games, we'll do a review. So probably we'll have one before game three. And then we'll probably have one before game five. And then we'll probably have a final recap after as to what's working, what's not. We're excited, man. Uh, just keep liking it, sharing it. All the above. I mean... This has been fun for me. I haven't been able to go down, sit down, and do a hockey thing. And I mean, this has just been an incredible year. Uh, the text messages, the phone calls, the Facebook messages. I feel like I'm doing something right. <laughs> uh, yeah, you can see that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, much appreciated. Uh, once the Stanley Cup is over, I uh, will recalibrate and see what changes we'll make new things that will stick, uh, add to the production value a little bit, um, and then take it from there. Uh, but definitely, everybody that's listened, this is the 35th week. Very much appreciated, and it's only going to get better. Only getting better. We're like a fine wine, better with time. Um, Stanley, I'm coming for you, baby. I'm coming.